this new year, please consider supporting Glass Tire. Because we're a nonprofit publication, all of our coverage is supported by viewers, readers, and listeners like you. If you would like to support our coverage, our news writing, or anything else on our site, please go to glasstire.com forward slash donate. Thanks so much and enjoy today's show. Hello and welcome to Art Dirt. This is a podcast where we at Glass Tire talk about topical art topics. I am Brandon Zeck. I'm Jessica Fuentes. And today we have two things we're talking about. Uh, The first is news of a planned expansion of the Dallas Museum of Art in Dallas, Texas. Uh, So we'll get to that first. And the second one is a recent museums that essentially staged relational aesthetic inspired protests in uh, the Netherlands to protest lockdown ordinances, although maybe not pressing, not protesting lockdown ordinances in the way you might think. Uh, but first, the Dallas Museum of Art. So why are we talking about this now? Uh, the Dallas Morning News and specifically uh, Mark Lamster, the uh, DMN's uh, architecture critic published a piece uh, earlier this week saying that the museum is looking for uh, is looking towards a big expansion project. Uh, the building, the DMA building, was built in 1984. Um, it was expanded in 1993. I don't know if that initial phase was, or if the initial build was like the idea was to do a two phased thing, but either way, an expansion nine years after the building opened is kind of a rapid way to do that. Um, But I digress. Uh, The museum doesn't have a whole lot of news or announcements or details that they're releasing around this. I imagine this is the sort of thing where Mark kind of found out that this was happening and was like, well, this is news and wrote something about it. Um, Apparently it's the very, very early stages of this process. Um, They're like, hiring a uh, Dallas architecture firm to kind of help them think about ideas around it. Apparently nobody knows what the expansion is actually going to entail. Um, But this is kind of a big deal. This is just another phase in Texas museums deciding that because of collectors and because of work that they've been acquiring or work that they've been promised that hasn't come in yet, they need more space. Um, Jessica, what's your kind of first take on this before we get in the weeds? You live in Fort Worth and you you used to work at the DMA, full disclosure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so I, I guess the idea of an expansion, I have heard kind of rumblings about it for a few years. Um, so I know that it's definitely been on people's minds at the museum, um, like you said, with acquisitions from private collections that have been promised to the DMA at some point in the future. Um, I know that they're thinking a lot about 
exhibition space and also storage. So Jessica, just to provide our listeners a little bit of context, uh, some of the the acquisitions that are incoming that we mentioned and that you're talking about, uh, back in 2005, there was a group of um, three couples, uh, three major patrons in Dallas, Robert and Marguerite Hoffman, Cindy and Howard Wachowski, and Dee Dee and Rusty Rose, who promised their collections to the DMA. Um, if you've been to the DMA in recent years, you probably have seen pieces that have come from their collections. If you look at the wall labels, um, these are top tier uh, contemporary collections. And apparently uh, the idea is the three of these collections together can entail more than a thousand works, most of which are contemporary art. So it seems like some of this new expansion project building would be dedicated to contemporary art is kind of a little bit of my impression if it's kind of being put into motion in part because of those collections. Yeah, I would imagine so. Um, You know, when you look at the DMA building as it stands, um, many of the permanent collection galleries um, don't have a whole lot of rotations that take place. Um, There's permanent collection works that are consistently on view in, for example, the European galleries or the African art galleries. Um, But it is the contemporary space, um, the barrel vault and the Hoffman galleries that are often being reinstalled with collection work. I feel like I do have to say, whenever I visit Dallas and walk through the DMA, um, those barrel vault galleries are bigger than you think they are like they can fit a lot of work and you know sometimes it's kind of crammed in but i'm a fan of salon hangs so sue me um but i I don't know i feel like those spaces are very big along with the gallery i forget the name of it but the gallery that's all the way at the other end of the museum um if you haven't ever been to the dma it's kind of it's there's a corridor a hallway that runs down the entire museum building lengthwise and then galleries are like to either side or uh up above on upper floors from this hallway um so you have this sight line that's like down the entire length of the museum um but i i feel like there normally is quite a bit of contemporary work on view or Maybe I'm just kind of comparing um, the Museum of Fine Arts recently opened the Kinder Building in Houston, which is dedicated to modern and contemporary art. And I feel like I hadn't seen a great deal of the contemporary work that's in that building, whereas I feel like I've seen quite a bit of the contemporary work that's in the DMA's collection because they have such a large space for it and because they rotate it out. Of course, that isn't to say that they don't need more. Yeah, absolutely. And there's uh, Chilton Galleries, the the other galleries at the far end of the museum by the cafe. Um, They do see a lot of rotations come through and um, traveling exhibitions, but it's not always contemporary, whereas the Barrel Vault and I believe the Hoffman Galleries tend to be contemporary. What would you, Jessica, want out of a DMA expansion because I'm I'm also trying to wrap my head around this building as a building because it seems I don't know if the DMA would try and build on top of what it already has or if it would try and go somewhere else it, it seems it seems like there's not really a chunk of land adjacent to the current building to build on at the same time I feel like if they were to build a whole new building in 
Fair Park or in the Design District or wherever, I feel like separating a museum, I mean, it has its good parts and it has its flaws, but to me it has a lot more drawbacks because if you want to visit the museum, you have to, you know, visit one place and then get in your car and go somewhere else and people, I mean, there's a resistance to that. It's not easy. Um, There's also the first time I ever walk through the DMA and frankly, whenever I return, um, I'm slightly confused by the layout of it if you've again if you've never been to the dma um some of the the work in like africa and oceana and even european paintings there's like split level floors where you're going up like a half set of staircases and you're walking around one way through the installation and you may miss something if you don't go back and retrace your steps and walk around the other way it's it's an interesting museum experience, but it's not intuitive, which got me at first. When I first started working there, it probably took me about six months to figure out the full layout of not only the galleries, but also the behind the scenes spaces. Um, when one of the things that we tell people uh, visiting the space is to take the stairs, walk all the way up to the fourth floor, and then slowly make your way down. So you make sure you see everything because otherwise it, it can be really confusing. Um, it also doesn't help that the building is kind of built uh, slightly into a hill. Uh, so when you're walking on that concourse, that long hallway, it's really kind of like a long ramp up um, as well. So that can be a bit confusing when the floors, the numbers change. You know, I have ev- I've actually never heard that about start at the top of the museum and walk down. Of course, like, I'm, I'm familiar with that for places like, I don't know, the New Museum in New York, you know, which is like a bunch of boxes on top of each other and it's like seven stories. Or, or the Whitney, the new Whitney building, very much the same thing. It's like start at the top and walk down. Um, I feel like maybe that should have been intuitive to me because that's how a lot of museums are laid out to make it easier on the visitor to take the elevator up and start going down. But for some reason, I don't know, the DMA is almost so sprawling horizontally that I never thought to do something like that. (laughs) Well, hey, there you go. Hot tip uh, (laughs) for next time you're in Dallas. But um, as far as what I would want to see from the building expansion, I also can't really imagine seeing the building as it is grow any further than it than it currently is. I'm kind of a proponent for a satellite satellite buildings. Yeah. Um I understand, you know, that there's something really truly great about having an arts district where you can come and park and spend the day and, and visit multiple places. Um, but also just thinking about people who live in different areas of the city. Sometimes transportation can be a hindrance to even come down to the um, arts district, or sometimes it can be intimidating to come down to the arts district and to think about trying to spend a full day going from you know gallery to gallery, museum to museum. Um, so I'm definitely a proponent for satellite for for at least a satellite building, um, perhaps in in a different neighborhood in Dallas um, that could be more community focused um and still show you know top-notch contemporary art um but be in a place where maybe a different demographic has better access to the space Mm -hmm. where do you think that would look like in dallas like i i'm trying to think of where there would be a big enough plot of land and where a building like this 
I don't know where, I, granted, building like this, there aren't any designs or anything released for this building. So, you know, we're very much in speculation mode, but where like a major museum building wouldn't kind of stick out a little bit like a sore thumb, it would also almost very much kind of be like a contemporary art building if it's built off site like it would feel like a satellite in every sense of that word like people were people in houston when the kinder building was being built um which is you know there's like an intersection at main street and bissonette that basically all of the mfah's buildings sit at all three of the major buildings uh, and just down the street like one block over is the Contemporary Arts Museum Houston. And when the Kinder Building was being built right next door to the Contemporary Arts Museum Houston, more or less, people were like, well, it's like we have two Contemporary Arts Museums and like, how are they going to, you know, are they going to play nice together? What? And they, they have different missions and goals. And, you know, it's it's not necessarily like they're competing, although, you know, maybe they are. I don't know. Um, but it has a different feel if it's disconnected and also if it's built away from other uh, other museum buildings. And I can't imagine that the DMA would kind of go super low profile. Like, I feel like if they build a building, especially because of the collections that it would likely house, they would kind of go all in on it. So where would you see something like this not, I don't know, not... Uh, just kind of invading the landscape. Yeah, I don't know if I have a great answer for that. Um, but I like the idea of seeing something in South Dallas, Southeast Dallas. Um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, Dallas has a lot of uh, cultural centers, uh, South Dallas Cultural Center, Oak Cliff Cultural Center, Latino Cultural Center, Bathhouse Cultural Center, Um and I believe many of those are kind of located in the south and southeast area of town. Um, so it would be nice to kind of see something that speaks to those spaces where communities are already comfortable and, and come and spend time, um, but also kind of brings the DMA's collection out in, in those areas. In his article for the Dallas Morning News, Mark Lamster um, talks about some of what the options are. So he says that they can build on top of themselves, which I don't know. I'm kind of with you, Jessica. Like I couldn't see them building three floors on top of this existing building. I mean, it would, it would kind of turn the building into a behemoth, which, you know, has its own advantages, but I don't know. It could be a little much, um, or that it could build a new wing on the lawn, uh, on Ross Avenue, which is the side of the building that's away from the freeway. Like, currently it's this large public plaza that has a big, I think, Mark DeSouvero sculpture. Um, you know, it's, it's, I mean, kind of used, but it's really just a big open plaza that I could see them almost saving the land. Uh, or the idea that it could build elsewhere. Um, and one of the things that also I feel like kind of complicates this conversation that I wasn't aware of until very recently, but is that the DMA, uh, as a nonprofit, as an institution, doesn't own the land that it sits on or the building. Am I right about that? I believe that's correct. Yeah, that's City of Dallas property. Yeah, so it's one of those like long term lease, you know, caretaking for it. And the City of Dallas provides maintenance. Uh, 
maintenance budgets and everything for the space. But there's, I mean, no matter what, whenever a cultural institution makes a decision to do a big expansion, there's going to be tie-ins to the city. But the tie-ins are so close because the city actually owns this property that I'm wondering what those negotiations are going to be like. There's obviously going to be a whole lot of behind-the-scenes... I mean, tax breaks aren't even really a thing because they're a nonprofit institution, but there's going to be a whole lot of negotiation about um, about both the land that it sits on, and I would imagine if they have to then buy land if they decide to go elsewhere, or if the city buys land, or I don't know if you know it kind of stays in the family and they, they build on city land again, or if they try and buy their own land, or it could kind of complicate how the DMA works as an institution, whatever this decision ends up being. Yeah, I wonder if there's any kind of plans to start to move away from that model in, in any way in the future. Um, it also made me think a little bit, the idea of like a satellite space made me think a little bit of LACMA, uh, which a few years back they had announced that they were going to build, I think, maybe like five satellite um, buildings kind of throughout L.A. Um, and we're a few years out from, from that announcement and not much has happened with it either, so... Yeah, I feel like, well, that's the other thing. Whenever museums announce big expansion projects, you know, I feel like there's always a little bit of a gasp or a backlash whenever the price tag comes up. Like, for example, the the MFAH expansion, the project as a whole was $450 million. The Kinder building was around $150 million of that. Um, but I can imagine similar things, especially if some of... Uh, the money for this DMA project is footed by the city through taxpayers as some of the money for the original building was. Um, and I mean, also just ideas of making sure, you know, whenever you do an expansion or whenever you do anything with an institution in general, you're trying to please so many constituencies. Like uh, the art critic Christopher Knight in Los Angeles, uh, Jessica, you mentioned that LACMA expansion. He's been very vocal about how problematic LACMA's current expansion is of building a new building and all of the problems that are happening with that building. And I would imagine, you know, Mark Lamster being the architecture critic for the Dallas Morning News, I would imagine he's going to be a wonderful chronicler of the many, you know, complexities and forces at stake and the new architecture, especially of a new museum building, because, you know, you can build a, a a crappy building in a great location, and that kind of that kind of doesn't change anything if it's still a crappy building for it for art or for the purpose that it's meant to serve. Uh, before we jump over to our next story, do you have any final thoughts about this? Obviously, we'll be covering it, and as our news editor, you'll be keeping a close eye on everything. But. Yeah, I'm just, you know, anxious to find out more um, and and to have an idea of what, what the timeline is, right? Um, like you mentioned at the beginning of our conversation, it's not that the DMA came out and started announcing this. I think that um, our Dallas Morning News reporter just got wind of it. So I, I'm interested to know kind of how far along things really are and what the timeline is that the DMA has in mind. 
And with that, uh, this this next story, it's it's going to be it's just kind of a short thing we wanted to bring up because it's both. I don't know. It's it's funny and it's meta and it's uh, it's a whole lot of different things rolled into one kind of weird story. But um, two performance artists, I guess you could describe them, uh, organized a protest among Dutch cultural institutions. So the short of it is um the Netherlands have kind of been on lockdown since sometime in December with the rise of Omicron and everything else and the worsening uh, conditions of COVID, the ever worsening conditions of COVID. And recently uh, gyms and nail salons and barber shops were allowed to reopen. And yet cultural institutions are still, uh, are still mandated to be closed. So basically what happened is these, Artists organized this cultural institution protest, and then more than 60 Dutch cultural institutions reopened for a day as barbershops and nail salons and yoga studios and fitness centers and, you know, all of these different things. And they had those services in their museums, concert halls, institutions for the day so that people could come and, quote unquote, use the services and also get to see the museum. Um what do you what did you think about this Jessica it's just everywhere i think is calling it a lighthearted or a fun little protest and i kind of i don't know i see it as that i don't know if it's being trivial, trivialized at all because to coordinate 60 institutions to do something like this i think is actually kind of like a i don't know it's kind of a major feat in my mind yeah, it's a pretty massive undertaking to to coordinate all of these institutions uh, to come together in this act of protest. So I can see how, you know, it's being treated as um, this kind of fun oddity um, that museums are, are doing this. Um, but at the same time, I think that they're trying to bring awareness to a real concern that they have. Um, because, you know, when you look at vaccination rates for example the netherlands has about 70 percent of their population fully vaccinated so i can also understand how you know museums are looking around and they're seeing these other um, service-based industries being allowed to open Um, they feel that you know perhaps their society um, is reaching the mark of um, being fully vaccinated that they should be able to safely open, um, and yet they're kind of losing out on um, the experience of not only bringing people in to experience culture, uh, but also the tourism that's vital to sustain the institutions themselves. Yeah, one of the quotes in uh, the stories that we read about this, you know, one of the uh, one of the people who runs one of the institutions, I believe, was like. Why can 300 people be in a grocery store, but we can't have 100 people visit this wide open museum space, um, which, you know, they are. I mean, they're really making a point. I I like the whole weird meta idea of institutions doing institutional critique of their government. In his column about this, Ben Davis, who is the critic for Artnet News, um said that this is this kind of looked like a weird relational aesthetics project from 2007 and i thought i have to say i thought exactly the same thing as soon as i saw this story break it's like you know artists stages haircuts in gallery to protest 
it's an odd story. Jessica, could you see something happening, something like this happening in the U.S.? I, I think there's a really interesting conversation around, like, the ownership that the public and that institutions feel uh, in Europe and, like, the, the public the public ownership because so much of it is publicly funded versus institutions in the U S um, and just, there's a different use of public space and of what it means to do like non violent protesting like this. And I don't know, I've had this conversation around other topics, but it came to the front of my mind whenever I saw this story. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm not sure if I really see something like this happening in the U S um, I feel like the museums and the museum workers that that I am connected with um, have been really welcoming of having the space and time to be closed, to feel safe, uh, to work from home, to have certain precautions in place. Um, of course, you know, at a certain point, everybody gets a little antsy and they're they're ready to be with the public again. But most of the people that I've been in conversation with are also very aware of you know wanting to keep themselves and their families safe as well yeah well like there's there's that interesting flip side to this of like well sure bars and nail salons have reopened but do they really need to be like do the museums really need to be open like i mean perhaps it's hypocritical that the nail salons and the brothels and the barber shops have reopened and the museums can't but at the same time should any of them be like it was that was kind of some of the conversation that was happening around the time that the museum of fine arts houston reopened which was one of the first larger maybe the first large museum in the u.s to fully reopen in the middle of may of 2020 during coronavirus like christina reese our then editor-in-chief and i went and we felt more or less safe because a lot of the reasons that uh all of the all of the institutions who were protesting this said, you know, it was a large space, people were spaced out, people were respectful, people were wearing masks. So like we felt okay at the same time we weren't the people that were being forced to be you know to to guard the galleries uh and work and encounter 500 people that day in the middle of a surge of, of in the covid pandemic. So I feel like there's it's it's interesting. I would like to know from all of the workers at these museums, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I haven't found anything about if the gallery guides were behind this protest, if the educators were behind this protest, like there were there were statements from museum directors saying like, "Well, we have to open and cultural institutions are important," which I wholeheartedly agree that they're important, but I'm like, how does everyone else feel about this? I haven't found anything, and I don't know anyone that works in a, in a Dutch museum, so I haven't been able to ask them. That That is definitely an important question at this point. Um, and again, maybe they do feel safe. Maybe maybe they are vaccinated. Maybe they're wearing masks. Maybe, maybe they do feel safe for all of those same reasons, too. Um, you know, like you said, I've, I've been visiting museums, um, over the last several months and, and I feel safe for the most part when I go, there's not a ton of other people, uh, there. So it's spaced out. I'm wearing my mask. If I bring my children, they're wearing their mask as well. Um, and I don't feel that I'm, you know, coming into too close of contact with anyone. 
If you uh, want to see more about these, we'll link to them in the description of this podcast. There are also some, I mean, you know, there's there's some photographs of people getting haircuts or people getting nails done in the Van Gogh Museum, which of course would kind of be the most famous, that, that's most of the images that I've found from this, because of course, if you're going to have a protest like this, you have to get photos of people getting Van Gogh themed nail art in the Van Gogh Museum. Um you know, in a, in a really kind of weird, funny way. Also, it's like, it's the weirdest, uh, like, opening the museum to the public and changing the function, like, Van Gogh experience gone gone wild. I don't know. It's like, come get a haircut and get Van Gogh-themed nail art in the Van Gogh Museum where there's the Van Gogh paint. It's like, I don't know, it's turned it on its head and opened into, like, a weird, immersive relational aesthetics project well and i could definitely see that continuing to happen in museums i feel like museum programming over the last decade or so is really kind of um thinking about the public and and how they can bring people in and create new and different experiences from having you know musicians stationed in the elevator uh when you're going floor to floor at a museum to um having tattooing in the galleries, you know, there's all kinds of um, fun and exciting and, and unexpected types of programs happening in museums across the U.S. Well, you know, that's a new idea for the Dallas Museum of Art building. Let's throw in a nail salon where people can get, you know, Van Gogh Starry Night nails or a famous work from the Dallas Museum of Art collection. Maybe some Ellsworth Kelly nails, you know, half black, half white. Um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how things like that move forwards. If I was building a museum building right now, I feel like, I don't know, There's there are a lot of possibilities and museums always need sources of revenue generation. So like, I don't know, it's, it, you'd get blasted probably for selling out, quote unquote, but if you're adding to your endowment in the process, I don't know if everyone's going to be all that mad. And with that, uh, thank you for listening. Uh, if you want to learn more about any of the things we talked about, go to this post on Glass Tire, and we'll have some reading links for you. Uh, Jessica, anything before we close up? I think that's it for me. Awesome. Well, again, thanks for listening. Uh, art is happening across Texas. There's a ton happening right now. Visit our event listings and go see some art. Go see some art. This podcast was recorded by Glass Tire and edited by William Saradet. Copyright Glass Tire 2022.